like being chaotic today. Um, before I get into uh, slavery and folk spirituals, Negro spirituals, protest songs, I feel like being chaotic and just playing my Ruby Room DJ set from last Friday, just because uh, not a lot of people were there. Also, it's like my first time in seven years DJing. So this isn't the live set. This is a practice set. Like there's mistakes with mixing and all that. But like my favorite thing, the best lesson that I learned this week, last week, this whole school semester, honestly, is like as long as you do your best, like it's okay if it's not perfect because you're just going to keep trying and trying and trying. So that's what the fuck I'm going to do today. Um, I hope that your Friday is going to be great. And um, yeah, basically, this one is for all the black people. Um, the first 30 minutes is for the hard R's. We're going to dance a little bit and then we're going to make the white people squee squeam, squirm, squirm. We're going to make the white people squirm by talking about racism and chattel slavery because I didn't do that. Your ancestors did atone for it. Just kidding. Or am I? Cause you pay 
I'ma slap the bitch, booty to the bitch Got a pink ass, got a pink ass E.S. I'ma play that for the bitch Give me fucking brain on a bed, yeah Love the 305, yeah Metro Zoo, nigga Jack and Blue I just fuck, rapping my fucking game Ladies call me fresh, all the funky bitches call me gay Staying in my lane, I don't give a fuck about the sour Sorry, ass niggas came through About to go hard, nigga I got well connected bitches. Yeah, I'm making up. I'm making up. Bitch, I'm just making up. So many bitches.
And then my skirt came down Oops, there goes my shirt up over my head Oh my, oh my Oops, there goes my skirt dropping to my feet Oh my
Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to that set. Um, it wasn't perfect. That was like one of my practice recordings before I actually did it at Ruby Room. But like I wanted to post it because I've been listening to it like like going over my work. Maybe it's a Virgo thing, but like it's not going to be perfect. But as long as you like you have an ear to just like make it flow like it's fun, you know, you'll get the transitions at some point. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed that because now we're going to be talking about slavery and chattel slavery and what it means to be um, what it meant to be a Christian or a slave during the Christian a slave being converted to Christian Christianity. Sorry about that. Um, anyways, <laughs> I was trying to make a joke, but I don't think it landed because I have mush mouth. But my name is Helena Hambasket, and you're listening to What's the Move? I created this show because I love music and I love history. And over the next few months, I'm going to be dissecting different African-American genres of music. You might have seen an infographic floating around uh, the internet called The Evolution of African-American Music. It's a timeline of every musical genre created by Black Americans. Portia K. Maltzby created this chart in 1992, and it's been revised a few times, but I think it could be updated a little bit. Um, in due time, though, we will get into what revisions I'd like to see, but let's get into like a history lesson so we can understand uh, the context to go with our critique. And, you know, just so you know, if you haven't been here before, this show isn't necessarily about just identifying which genres came before the other, but rather how uh, the genres are all interconnected. As you'll notice, especially earlier in history, many of these artists did gospel records or are musically trained in the church before creating new sounds. So this means that there won't be like a linear way to tell the story um, when it comes to black music. Sacred tradition influences the secular and vice versa. Um, and you'll find that out a little find that out a little bit later <laughs> um sometimes this happens simultaneously so like if anything like when you're trying to categorize this try to fit this in your brain like look at a map like we're looking at a map when we're telling this story because it's it's all over you know um but yeah i'm really excited to shift gears this week um we've been doing jazz since i started the show in october um October 13th was the first episode and now it's December 22nd and I'm really happy that I stuck through it <laughs> stuck with it I've met some really awesome people here at BFF um I've done some really good volunteer work with the shows that we put on here like even me playing the DJ set this uh today before y'all because I woke up this morning and I was listening to my girl Alicia this morning and I could tell that she was doing like her mixing on like the live like the turntables that we have here and it sounded so good that ghetto tech like that was so good um I almost like wasn't trying to leave my house until their episode was over but I had to get here and I was mad about it so I did listen to it on my phone because you know bff.fm has an app that you can download <laughs> so uh yeah with that being said I'm gonna be talking about gospel um, jazz is really fun, but like now let's talk about something else. Um, I also love that like house and gospel are intertwined. So I feel like what I played for y'all earlier kind of goes into what we're going to be talking about. But, um, yeah, like I said, <clears throat> with jazz, you know, we went to the pre-industrial time to kind of like explain where it came from. We're going to be doing the same with gospel. 
Um, but like in my research, I've come to realize that like the sacred and the secular music sung by slaves um, were wildly intertwined. So I want to do my best to like dissect this as best as I can. Um, so I'm going to like be talking about slavery, like I think most of this episode, just so like y'all can understand the context. And like when I ask questions for myself, but also to you, the listener, like you have like context, right? Like I love the word context. <laughs> uh, but I do want to warn you that it can be like a little bit triggering. Um, I mean, I know that y'all heard me like almost cry on air just talking about like even Emmett Till. So I probably won't go into like super depth, but I definitely um, wanted to warn you so you could preserve your mind if you needed to. And um, first off, I want to say thank you to Tess Caldwell. She's um, an African-American studies teacher at Las Madonnas College in Pittsburgh, California. I took one of her classes like 10 years ago um, on African-American literature and it really changed my life. Like I got to read Zora Neale Hurston, Octavia Butler, Toni Morrison, like for the first time ever, which is like crazy too, because like, actually I'm not gonna get into my tangent. <laughs> it's just crazy, but I like, I read those books in Tess Caldwell's class. And she also had us read through lyrics of Negro spirituals and poetry of slaves. Um, I also remember like listening to audio of former slaves speaking about their experiences. Um, there were also like recordings of formerly enslaved black people um, or people whose parents were slaves and talking about their parents being like slaves. Um, so some of these recordings are from like the 1920s or so and they're really, really interesting to hear. They're in the Library of Congress, like on their website. I'll probably link it just so you can see it too. Um, but that brings me to my next point. <laughs> I'm gonna get like kind of dense with this and I really hope you stay with me. Uh, this background might extend for the next two episodes, but like, I don't care. Like, I find that it's really crucial at this point in time to talk about the context in which our music was created. Um, so like when we talked about jazz being syncopated dance music, uh, those songs didn't have lyrics to start with. Um, so the interpretations of the purpose of the songs were even more open than what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and I want to mesh the sacred and the secular traditions prior to 1870 because uh, slavery was like the largest groupings of black people in America. So to me, this means like when we get to talking about rhythm and blues and beyond, like I need you to understand how hard it is to separate the two art forms because they were created together by the same people at the same time. I feel like I stress this every episode, but I just don't want any confusion around this episode i think it's like ptsd from being around like pretentious indie rock assholes like i want to be very clear about what i'm doing here because yes they are different genres yes they sometimes have different meanings but you can't separate the two in my opinion um <laughs> and before we truly get into it i had a few questions for myself to try and like answer when i was doing these gospel sessions with y'all um, just so I could better understand the context. And I think that it really helped me. So like I had three questions to start off with. How popular was Christianity in the US at its inception? And when I say its inception, I mean when the United States became the United States, not when it was still the 13 colonies of uh, Great Britain or whatever the hell it's called. Um, also, how did enslaved and formerly enslaved people become Christian? Um, lastly, what were the parameters of slavery in the colon in the colonies before the Revolutionary War? So hopefully we'll get into it a little bit. Um, you know what though? I think I'm going to play a couple of songs just so 
we can kind of get into the mood because I feel like uh, some of y'all are laughing and broke people should never laugh. Sorry, that wasn't funny. Um, I'm just Nicki Minaj. Anyway, um, we're going to get into this really quick. Slaves were expected to sing as well as to work. A silent slave was not liked, either by masters or overseers. Make a noise there, make a noise there, and bear a hand were words usually addressed to slaves when they were silent. The remark was often made that slaves were the most contented and happy laborers in the world, and their singing was referred to in proof of this alleged fact but it was a great mistake to suppose them happy because they sometimes made these joyful noises. The songs of the slaves represented their sorrows rather than joys. They told a tale of woe. They breathed the prayer and complaint of souls boiling over with bitterest anguish. Every tone was a testimony against slavery and a prayer to God for deliverance from chains. To these songs I trace my first glimmering conception of the dehumanizing character of slavery. So yeah, I need y'all to understand what Frederick Douglass was talking about was like, um, I feel like they wanted the slaves to make sounds so they knew that their property wasn't dead because they were overworking them so much, right? But I mean, that's like one piece of it and we'll get into it. Um, in fact, we're gonna talk about colonial slavery. So in the 13 colonies, um, slavery developed due to like a combination of factors, but mostly for like the labor demands, which resulted in the Atlantic slave trade. If you don't know what that is, look it up. They were taking people from Africa, West Africa specifically, or more commonly, I should say, specifically to whatever. Um, and they were shipping people to North America, to Caribbean, uh, to South America. Um, and if you want to understand how atrocious it is, I was just looking at some numbers. Um, 
because you know like when you're on like a ship i guess you have to like take inventory of what you're bringing across like transatlantic lines and so for uh african people that they enslaved you know that's considered cargo and so um there are records of like the loss of cargo and there were like a like the main like slavers countries were portugal netherlands spain and england right and so um each of them each of those countries had like their own like ledgers of like what they've lost their losses for the year for cargo for um commerce whatever right and so like combined between those four countries um oh for context to like when a slave was like when a slave died on on the ship ship you know that'd be like a count of a loss of cargo so i say that to say um combined those four countries when they when you tally up the loss of cargo aka the amount of uh africans that died on the way to the transatlantic slave trade like weren't didn't even get a chance to touch the soil they were being brought to it's like 1.5 million bodies like fucking crazy and on top of that too um and i'd like you know what i'm not gonna sit here and try to like package this in two hours like i did this on purpose um there were a lot of people that were enslaved that jumped off that boat because they weren't about to be in bondage like they just weren't right um and that was really common and so the amount of enslaved africans jumping off of those ships actually changed the migration patterns of sharks because they were getting such like good and hearty food you know from people not wanting to go into slavery like look this shit up like i'm not making it up i learned this like many many years ago um yeah like sharks slavery so uh yeah oh and the french fuck the french too they did that the spanish the french the dutch the english um the portuguese um they basically settled in north america like in the 16th century um initially they began enslaving indigenous people and using them as labor uh to develop the colonial economies um but as you know because there's not like vaccines and people aren't actually practicing like really good hygiene and all that <clears throat> the indigenous people that they enslaved um they suffered like massive population uh losses due to diseases so europeans they took to um enslaving african people and importing them to produce cash crops so with the development of slavery and the co-development of racist ideology um you should read this book called the emperor's new clothes and it's about the concept and the inception of race and it all starts in portugal in the 1600s this century that we're currently talking about it's not an easy read but like even if you read like the foreword you'll get the gist the foreword's like maybe like 15 pages um <laughs> So, uh, with the Africans being enslaved to produce cash crops um, and these racist ideologies coming together, um, they were legally defined as chattel slavery. Like, and it was like the caste system in India, I believe. Like, you're born into it, so you're always going to be born into slavery. But the difference is here, you can't move up, or at least at this point in time, I guess, right? And slavery was legal in every colony prior to the Revolutionary War. And it was obviously most prominent in the southern colonies, uh, which it developed like, um, because of that, it developed like large uh, slave-based plantation systems. And we've read about those. If you haven't, please look them up. 
Um, it's 2023, babe. Get hip to it. And slavery in North America, because of the harsh conditions, and I won't say the lack of land, but the harsh weather conditions and stuff, slavery up there was a little bit different. Like I said, the South had like the plantation-based systems, whereas um, the North had more indentured servitude type stuff um, or working alongside white people who were paid less, but the slaves weren't paid at all type thing. Um, <clears throat> but then to answer the other question about like the conversion of Africans to Christianity, right? Um, that occurred over a long period of time. And it's difficult to kind of pinpoint, but it obviously began with the arrival of the African slaves in the early 17th century, which is still the 1600s. Um, initially, like African slaves, they practice their traditional religions and they still do to this day because I was talking about this a couple of episodes. We have Santeria, we have Hoodoo, we have Voodoo. We still have these like forms of uh, original religions prior to uh, colonization. And I mean, they're still here, but some of them have also morphed into something a little bit different, right? Like we still have that. Um, but they did vary along the ethnic groups of people because like, you know, um, as they were forcibly brought to America, they were forced uh, convert forcibly converted oh my goodness <laughs> to christianity and it's complex it's multifaceted some of the slave owners they sought to christianize their slaves as like a means of social control um to like instill obedience and discourage rebellion but then also some people uh they embraced it willingly and they found solace in the community within the christian faith and it got me wondering why right and it's because of the great awakening um in conjunction with the enlightenment and so the first great awakening happened in the 18th century. So like the 1700s. And it was a period of a religious revival in the American colonies. And it spread Christianity. Um, also to like African-Americans. And I think I'm going to get into this like next week's episode because it's really interesting. Um, just the way that it kind of snakes its way around. But some of the black individuals, they became like active participants in this movement. And so the first great awakening was the religious revival. It was a religious revival and it took place in like the 1730s, 1740s. And um, it was a response to the, the enlightenment, I think. And like the fact that people were uh, more secular, if that makes sense, um, as secular as they could be in the 18th century. Uh, and uh, the first great awakening and emphasized like the personal and emotional experience of faith preachers urged individuals to have like direct contact and heartfelt relationships with God rather than to rely on like traditional rituals and doctrines um, and for context like I don't know if y'all ever read uh, The Crucible the Arthur Miller play about like uh, Goody Whoever dancing with the, the devil and like Tituba who was like a real they were all real people but um, that happened in like the really early colonies, like I think even prior to bringing over slaves. And from my understanding, that brand of religion, like that brand of Christianity and like brands of Christianity before, including like Catholicism, were really heavily based, like really were not into, uh, what's the word? They loved pain and pleasure, or not pain and pleasure. They loved pain. They loved, um, the more pain getting closer to God, being very strict, by being very rigid, um, like not having fun. You know what I mean? So with the first grade awakening, you also had like uh, revivals, 
large scale gatherings where people were dancing and singing and like also speaking in tongues, which is like not prim and proper at all, right? <laughs> um, and it had like a really like uh, profound impact on colonial society. It encouraged to like it encouraged people to like share religion. Um, and it also uh, kind of democratized Christianity. So you're starting to see more Quakers, Protestants, um, Baptists. Like, I don't know. I Like, I'm not super religious, so I can't, like, really break it down to you the way that I'd like to. <laughs> but it definitely contributed to the growth of evangelicism. Evangelicalism. Jesus, I cannot speak today. I did smoke. So that's not it, right? Um but they also like were about that concept of like spiritual rebirth. Um, and like I said, it was definitely like a response to the enlightenment because the, the enlightenment, if you don't remember, it was like this intellectual movement emphasizing like reason and science. Um, it was also influencing colonial thought. Like um, it led to a more secular outlook. Like people were questioning like, does God really exist, right? So, um, like, some of the fools that were in the Enlightenment were John Locke, Voltaire, um, Immanuel Kant, uh, that fool wrote uh, Maximilian Robespierre. Um, and, like, as I'm saying these names, I'm getting, like, flashbacks to, like, 10th grade history where it's just, like, I don't care about these old, dead, white fools. I don't care about them. They're boring. <laughs> but anyways, the founding the founding fathers they were like reading up on these fools they were rubbing elbows with them over in europe like benjamin franklin that fool was a big stand he was a, a dick rider like for sure um that's a triple entendre if you know uh ben franklin's history but anyways um so while the great awakening is happening the american revolution is also like being born because the founding fathers were like really really into the enlightenment movement Oh, and if you've ever watched The Great on Hulu, um, it's loose. It's basically loose. It's loose based loosely. Oh, my God, bro. Am I having a seizure? <laughs> it's based loosely on Catherine of Russia, like the great, the queen. And like Voltaire makes an appearance um, in the show. And I think Benjamin Franklin does, too. And like aside from like the sex and debauchery part of it, like the main central piece of this TV show is about how this woman from Austria became the empress of Russia and brought Russia from the quote unquote dark ages into the age of enlightenment with Voltaire and all of them and helped modernize like what we know as Russia today, I guess, right? So if you have some time, look at it. They actually just canceled it. So there's no more shows, no more seasons of it. But if you're like a period piece freak like me, you're going to love it. Um, <laughs> so musically, because like, let's get into it. What is happening at this time with slaves? Well, um, um, Africans in America, they like retained a lot of their customs from the past, which still remain relevant even after the abolition of slavery. Um, but they like worked long hours. Uh, they sang these songs to pass the time to relieve boredom, to coordinate movements of repetitive manual labor. Like there are chain gang songs that I'll probably like put in, maybe not today, but next week. And they honestly pretty much had a song for anything that they were doing. I was listening to a song called I'm Gonna Beat This Rice. And it's just narration of what's going on with this person making dinner. And like honestly, I love that because 
I don't know if it's because I was like a preschool teacher slash like nanny or because like I'm a music freak, but I'm constantly making a little song for like everything in my head, um, speaking out loud. Like I sing and I narrate my chores. Uh, me and my partner sing songs to our dog about anything and everything. Um, yeah, we just like make songs around the house. And like perhaps music is like really like attached to the DNA. Like I'm not going to get tinfoil hat, but like it's just so funny. Uh, like that's hella generations removed, but it's such a strong practice that still happens. Um, <laughs> with that being said, I'm going to play a couple of more tracks. Just like going over like some of the things that the slaves, the enslaved people were singing. Um, I'm actually getting this from like one specific album. It's something that the Smithsonian put together. So they actually have a couple of slave narratives on it. They have a couple of people reading like Frederick Douglass's stuff. They have people reenacting old songs. But like the crazy thing is, I mean, I guess it's not crazy, but a lot of them are like 30 seconds long, one minute long. So uh, yeah, it's kind of quick and you get a lot of information. slave song that ever was sing by black people when they come first come over over from Africa over here. They'll see the the sound even say you are leave on in the villainous to say. Yeah. See they were they, they didn't know where they was, you know, just just like you would go into a place you never know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And uh they would sing this they would sing the song they say Nebone in the villainous, Nebone in the valley they was praying at the time, right? that's why they say Nebone Bane. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. see, it was bending down, they was praying. They would say, Negro and Ben to save my soul. Well, that's why they was praying, understand? It, so th- that's the way my mom and them told it to me. Uh-huh. Say, and, and, and aunts too, I have some, I have some old ancestors that put out these sounds, you know.
I grew up like a neglected weed, ignorant of liberty, having no experience of it. I was not happy or contented. Every time I seen a white man, I was afraid of being carried away. I think slavery is the next thing to hell. If a person would send another into bondage, he would, it appears to me, be bad enough to send him to hell if he could. I had reasoned this out in my mind. There was one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other, for no man should take me alive. I would fight for my liberty as long as my strength lasted. And when the time came for me to go, the Lord would let them take me. understand some of the lyrics because the um, recordings are kind of rough like I said a lot of them were made in like the 1920s and 30s because um, I don't know if it was FDR no it couldn't have been I don't know who it was what president and what legislation but basically there was an initiative in the 1920s to actually go around and um, gather pictures um, of slaves and formerly enslaved people um, to get the slave narratives, to record their voices, to have them talk about like their day-to-day life. And at this point too, in like 1920, 1930, the people that were slaves at that time were like children. I remember um, Tess Caldwell, uh, she played something for us in class and it was this man, he was being recorded in like 1920 or something like that. And he was, I think he said he was like six or eight years old when he finally found out that um, the Civil War had ended slavery. Because I don't know if you know, but like obviously because fools didn't have the internet in 1865, um, 
people didn't just know that the war was over and they also didn't just know that slavery wasn't like a thing anymore um for a couple reasons right because um enslaved people they did not know how to read okay a lot of them did not know how to read they were illiterate um also when you are um the oppressor right why would you tell your mass army of labor of the oppressed that they can uh go home that they can go or not even go home but that they're free that they don't need to be listening to you anymore you're just simply not going to do that so um <laughs> i can't even remember why i was getting on this tangent but <laughs> the songs I was playing, uh, oh, that's where, that's where I'm going. If you listen, like that song, I'm going up north. I played that after uh, a Harriet Tubman narrative, her talking about like why she wanted freedom, right? Um, so I played that after because like people knew about going up north. They knew Canada was their straight shot. Um, yeah, you could definitely like hit Pennsylvania or like a New York or whatever, but that's still America. They still won't treat you like shit. I'm not, I can't speak on Canada because I wasn't there. I'm sure that they were treated like a little bit better just because there wasn't slavery, question mark, because I don't know if that's true or not. So I'm not going to sit there and say it like it's fact. But people from the South were definitely trying to make their way up. Um, I also played um, a complaint call by Enoch Brown. I don't think that that's the name of the slave. I think that's the name of the man that... Um, reenacted it and he's just talking shit about his about the master about like all the complaints he has while he's working because like i can't imagine picking cotton um in georgia in august um with no ac and no bluetooth speaker like that's that's fucking crazy to me so um mind you and then there's some man on a horse whipping you if you're not picking cotton fast enough and i don't know if you've ever seen like the way that cotton's picked but it's really thorny it's really rough so it's not like really a fun experience to be doing for 13, 14 hours a day. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> so what happened during the Revolutionary War? Well, as we know, uh, slavery was still happening when that was happening, when the Revolutionary War was happening. Um, and about 20,000 African-Americans, also in this context, when I say African-Americans, uh, before the Revolutionary War, I mean, like, they were truly taken from Africa to America, but they were, some were owned by the British, and some were owned by the, what we will say, modern-day contemporary Americans. So, when I say African Americans, that's what I mean. Like, they are still slaves. They are not autonomous people. They are still owned by either the British or the Americans, the Patriots, right? So, about 20,000 African Americans they joined the British cause. They're called the Loyalists. And about 9,000 joined the American cause. They're called the Patriots. Okay. I heard that's also a football team. I don't really know about anything about that. I like soccer. I don't like football. That's soccer is my football. But anyways, some of these people were free and um, they enlisted in both sides. Um, but far more were enslaved than they were free. Like, let's just get that clear. Um, the American states they had to meet a quota um, for the troops and the Continental Army, as they were called. Um, like New England, you know, New England's like Massachusetts, Rhode Island, like those fools. They promised enslaved people freedom 
if they enlisted in the Continental Army. Um, they also, like I said, they had quotas that they had to meet. So you had people that were putting slaves in combat for themselves. And you see that in the Civil War, too. That also happened then. Um, but like, yeah, over the course of the war, about one fifth of the men in the army were black. Is that crazy? They were Africans, African-Americans. And um, it's also super funny, too. So I'm not going to get like heavy into it. But it's just the fact that when this is happening, like the Southern slave owners were like, oh, I'm kind of worried about putting a gun in my slave's hand. And so there were like discussions about this, you know, I guess like in the Navy, like the sea part of the military, the guys that are on the boats, they had a shortage. So uh, they were really concerned about like having a bunch of black people on a boat with very little uh, white people and a lot of ammunition just taking over and going back home. And I think that's so funny because like, why the fuck wouldn't they do that? But at the same time though, um, what's the word? Stockholm syndrome, this mentality. Maybe they're too afraid to even do that because I mean, I didn't really see too, too many like reports of people. I didn't see any reports of uh, Africans taking a ship and going back to Africa. But anyways, I, that's a guilty conscience when you're, treating people like livestock like cattle of course you're going to feel that way so <laughs> after the war was quote unquote one the loyalist african-americans the loyal the ones that were on the british side they were transported with their british slavers to the caribbean regions or they went back home the british they also uh sent some of their free slaves to jamaica and funnily enough they also still kept a hold of Eastern Florida as a territory because I don't I don't know when Florida became a part of the U.S. Union, but it wasn't until like the mid 1800s. I would say that and Florida, like Louisiana, changed hands of countries many, many times. So there's a lot of different influences that we even see today. And uh on top of them still being in east florida some africans like during the war they established their own communities in the deep uh south swamp areas to escape re-enslavement um during the war and after the war but like by like 1790 or so a lot of them were put back in slavery because you know of uh, slave catchers and whatnot so um if it's not obvious so Caribbean plantations started booming over there around this time, especially when you think about like the ratios of landmass and the islands, the amount of the Africans that were already over there picked like on the plantations. And then you have ones coming in like the chattel slavery over there was crazy. Um, as far as the fate of the Patriots and the other black folks and the newly quote unquote free United States. Well, in the first two decades following the revolution, uh, most northern states, they abolished slavery. Um, some of them gradually abolished it. Um, I know Vermont and Massachusetts, they ended their slave, like their slavery legislation, like during the revolutionary period, like during the war, like they meant what they said, I guess, which is kind of funny because isn't Massachusetts like hella racist? I've only been to Boston once. I was like 13. But anyways. <laughs> Yeah, so most of the northern states, they abolished slavery by law um, or in their new constitutions. 
And by like 1810, about 75% of all African Americans in the North were quote unquote free. Um, but like the Southern states, they still maintain the institutions of slavery. But in the upper South, uh, numerous slaveholders, I won't say all, I won't even say a lot, they were inspired by revolutionary ideals to free the people they had enslaved. And if you're confused about what the upper South means, because I know people and maps, it's a hot topic, I get it because borders don't make sense, they're imaginary. But the upper South in this context, think like Tennessee, think Kentucky, think Maryland, think Virginia, like the DMV area, like Washington DC, like that's the upper South, right? Um, and like also too, because like enslavement did not take precedence over the war, there was like a slight hold on slavery. Um, and that's like me using the term loosely. Like I, and I, I say this because um, the slight hold got these people in like the upper south and the north thinking about like their place in like slavery. And in addition to that, like the Methodists, the Baptists, the Quaker preachers, they also like preached about abolition. And if you want to like kind of talk about it too, like that's what the original rednecks were about. Like Dolly Parton, when she says she's a redneck, she means that she means in this sense, the rednecks that were about prison abolition who understood that even though they were fighting in the American Revolutionary War, and I'm gonna say this, like white privilege aside, they were poor and uneducated and disenfranchised too. So why the fuck would they sit there and pick on us as Africans, right? Not everybody had the same ideals, but that's where like the derivative of redneck comes from. It comes from those people that were also of the re of the resistance, right? Um, <laughs> so I say that to say more than like half of the number of free black people in the United States were concentrated in the upper South. And if you're not a black person and like, if you don't think about like statistics and stuff, like I think about these things all the time, it makes sense. Like just the way that communities act i'm like oh i could see that and i like don't i can't really like dissect it but like one thing i love about the great migration and like the effects of the great migration in 2023 is like you can still tell who's from atlanta you can still tell who's from milwaukee like weird mid midwest shit like you can tell a black person who's from california like it's just like these very little nuances and like i like as i've been researching this like i'm seeing how these nuances came into play uh through the legislation of the abolition of slavery crazy right uh what a concept <laughs> um so yeah like where am i going with this tangent about the american revolution um well it's another tangent but at the center of the tangent it's the Declaration of Independence, okay? A significant number of the individuals who signed the Declaration of Independence were slaveholders. Out of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, it's estimated that like one third of them owned slaves at some point in their lives. And it's important to note that the practice of slavery was widespread in American colonies during that time. And many of the found founding fathers were sl like slave owners. Like I need you to like understand that. Um, so like when they're talking about life and liberty, pursuit of justice for all or whatever the hell it is, they weren't talking about the people that they had on their plantations because they need to get money. They need to make money. Um, some of some of the heavy hitters that that own slaves, 
George Washington, he had 300 slaves. He had the most slaves out of all those people. And like when I think about like even my favorite bars that I go to, some of them can't even pack in 300 people. So do you know like how evil you have to be to have 300 people enslaved on your property and the amount of upkeep monetarily and time-wise that it takes to just be a fucking racist? It's insane. It's insane. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm upset, man. Uh, I remember when I was 13, I went to Thomas Jefferson's house on a school trip. We went to like Washington, D.C. I saw uh, the Taco Bell in, in Philadelphia, the one with the crack in it. I saw that in person. And then I also went to Thomas Jefferson's house and it was fucking huge, man. And one thing I remember about Virginia when I was there, um, I felt a going into the woods and I'm not particularly esoteric or spiritual, but I really felt energy and like spirits like while we were driving. And I can't really remember like my feelings about being in the space of Monticello, but I do remember driving down there, looking out the window in the on the bus, and just thinking about the slut, the slaves running through those woods, like trying to get to freedom. Um, so it was like it was eerie. It was definitely eerie to me personally. Um, and his house, his house was cute though. Like I'm not gonna lie, like I'm an architecture girly. I definitely remember being fascinated about that because I like I love history and old stuff. But I wish I was like 13 in the woke era because I wish I could remember how I felt and I wish I could remember how they talked about his slaves. Because one thing I do remember was they had a whole section on the tour dedicated to Sally Hemings. And if you don't know who Sally Hemings is, that is the slave that uh, Thomas Jefferson consistently assaulted and had kids with because I'm not going to call them lovers because that was not love. That was a power play. That was a sick man. Um, resting he's already I hope he is resting in piss if it makes you feel better he died of chronic diarrhea so he died shitting his brains out so that makes me happy but they did a whole uh, section on Sally Hemings and I wish I could remember like how I felt about it and what they were even saying and how they tried to gloss that over but anyways I had to ask the question though were these guys even Christians themselves it seems very unchristian like to like sign the declaration of independence and not free your slaves I'm just saying like I'm not saying that Christianity is the comp the moral compass here, but like I had to ask the question, like how many of these white guys believed in God? Um, well, a lot of them who signed the Declaration of Independence, they identified as Christians, right? But they also held a range of theological views. Um, some of them were devout Christians. And like I said earlier in the show, uh, some were influenced by uh, the enlightenment they were influenced by deism uh they were more influenced by philosophy um and it's just like you know it's important to note that like christian encompasses like a broad spectrum of beliefs so um you know even to this day baptist beef with catholics i don't understand why but like it's still i don't think that they were using their christian brain when they signed and drafted the declaration of independence which actually brings me to circle into the whole tangent. Because <laughs> I swear, dude, like I really get on my tangents. Um, like I said, in the Revolutionary War, they like put a pause on, uh, I won't say they put a pause on slave trade, but that wasn't the priority. So, um, but 
because a lot of the northern states they abolished slavery like after the revolutionary period like that wasn't really like an issue but like in south carolina they reopened uh their slave trade back like i think in like 1780 like a couple years after the revolutionary war had been won or whatever but they closed it again and they reopened it and then in north carolina they uh started trade up again then they abolished it in like the mid 1790s and then georgia allowed slave trade until like the 1780s and then that finally ended in like 1799 or something like that <laughs> and by like 1807 south carolina was the only state that was doing the transatlantic slave trade uh most of them weren't you know but just because they weren't doing the transatlantic slave trade doesn't mean that they weren't using slaves so um i'm gonna play some more tunes and then we're gonna get more into it I know it's a little bit sober. You thought that we were coming in cute and fun and bubbly with that 30 minute little booty bounce mix. But no, we're not. We're talking about some heavy shit before we get into the even better. All right. I'm gonna play a couple of like Christian pseudo protest songs. And next episode, I'm definitely going to dissect like what it means. So I've been reading this really interesting book about um, how spirituals mesh with rhythm and blues. And the section that I'm reading right now is just like about how there were really weren't people that were able to critique uh, black music, black gospel. Cause at that time, at this time, I think it's like 1910. So you have like a, you're starting to actually get formed black genres, right? And so in the book, they're talking about how people weren't actually critiquing gospel music or recognizing gospel music as a genre in um, the American folklore. And uh, it's really interesting because we're going to, I'm going to get into like how people were kind of dissecting it because we do have to understand that Christianity. Um, and I hate to say it actually don't hate to say it. I hate that you don't want to admit it. Um, it was a tool to keep black people, Africans docile in the name of slavery, right? And because black people are the dynamic people that we are, we can like turn coal into diamonds damn near, like if you give us enough time. So um, there's definitely good things that came out of it, but like it's still born in something very sinister. And that's why I'm having this kind of like breakdown right now because contextually, especially when we get to like lyrics, like I need you to understand that all of this would have not happened had slavery not happened. <laughs> um, so it's it's bittersweet to talk about. It's bittersweet to talk about, but I need you to know it's not all just like a kiki. So enough with the lecture. I'm going to start playing some more songs for you. I'm going to start with you going to reap just what you sow. You going to reap what you sow. You're gonna reap what you sow. Sowing on the mountain, sowing in a valley. And you will reap what you sow. I'm telling you, brother, to keep right on fighting. 
Tell your brother, keep right on fighting. Fighting on the mountain, fight hard on in the valley. And you will reap what you sow. You're gonna reap just what you sow. You're gonna reap what you sow. Sowing on the mountain, sowing in the valley, are you gonna reap what you sow? I've got a home in the kingdom, ain't that good news? I've got a home. In the kingdom, ain't no that good news. I'm gonna lay down this world. I'm gonna shoulder up my cross. Going home to the promised land, ain't that good news? I've got a home in the Ain't that good news? I've got a home in the rock. Ain't that good news? I'm gonna lay down this world. I'm gonna shoulder up the cross. I'm going on home to the promised land. Ain't that good news? I've got a home in the kingdom, ain't that good news? I've got a home in the kingdom, ain't that good news? I'm gonna lay down this world, I'm gonna shoulder up on the cross. Going home to the promised land and be free. To Lord, to Lord, don't remember me. To Lord, to Lord, don't remember me. To Lord, to Lord, Lord remember me now. To Lord, remember me. Do Lord, do Lord, Lord remember me. Do Lord, do Lord, Lord remember me. Do Lord, do Lord, Lord remember me. Now do Lord remember me. When I'm sick and I can't get well, Lord remember me. When I'm sick and I can't get well, Lord remember me. When I'm sick and I can't get well, Lord remember me. Now do Lord remember me. Do Lord, do Lord, Lord remember me. Do Lord, do Lord, Lord remember me. Do Lord, do Lord, Lord remember me. Now do Lord remember me. Oh, how long, how long before the sun goes down? Oh, how long, how long before the sun goes down? 
I wish I had applied a wind I was young before the sun goes down. I never would have had a disarrace to run before the sun go down. Oh, how long, how long before the sun goes down. Oh, how long, how long before the sun goes down. Boy, you's gotta let your light shine. And if you want your freedom, you's gotta get right. Cause we's getting ready. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All in my room, I'm gonna let it shine. All in my room, I'm gonna let it shine. All in my room. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. When I'm in free, I'm gonna let it shine. When I'm is free, I'm gonna let it shine. When I'm is free, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Oh, wonder where is my brother gone? Wonder where. He is gone to the wilderness and coming no more. Wonder where will I lie down? Wonder where will I lie down? In some lonesome place, Lord, down on the ground. Wonder where will I lie down in some lonesome place, Lord, down on the I grew up.
Alrighty, I'm back. I'm Helena Handbasket. And you're listening to What's the Move on BFF.FM Radio. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to play some more of those songs. I don't know the point that I'm trying to make explicitly, but I hear, I hope that you hear the points that I'm trying to make because that last song that I played, it's called Buck Dance. And I don't think, again, I got this from a Smithsonian recording site, um, recording album. So I don't think that these are the actual slaves that were uh, making this stuff. But when you hear that song, Buck Dance, the one that I just played last, you, I feel like you can hear like where the country, like where country comes from, where blues comes from. It's really peaceful. Like, uh, do you remember that folk singer, uh, Devendra Banhart? It reminds me of that. And not that Buck song remind, Buck Dance reminds me of Devendra Banhart. I now see where Devendra Banhart got all his swag. Like, you know what I mean? I can't believe I just said swag on the air. <laughs> oh my god. Um But also like if you go back and re-listen to this episode or if you end up listening to the playlist that i publish what also resonates to me for like the songs that i played i'm starting to see how like how do i how do i say this like the lyrical structures of like pop music today and pop or popular music from like 1920s and on is formulated based off of this like I like when I listen to this stuff, I really start to hear how popular music really did derive from black people. Like I can't think of a really good example of like a like a rocker song. But uh what was the song that was playing about like where I wonder where my brother gone? It's actually really sad the song, right? Like it's about the slave trade. It's about you coming on this boat with your brother, like you uh, surviving that really, really rough ride on that boat, you and your brother, and then you being separated. And then like, let's say that you're like 60 years old at this point now. Y'all got separated when you were 14. I wonder where my brother's gone. But I say that to say that lyrical content, that sorrow, I can still find that in contemporary music today. and it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if the American experience, while not unique in my opinion, it inherently holds like a bit of sorrow, a bit of anger, a bit of loss. Um, yeah. So things to think about. <laughs> Sorry, I got I got a little a little intense. And then uh, you know, this little light of mine, that song, that one is supposed to be i guess there's a couple different like meanings reasonings uh what's the word interpretations of that song some say that it's uh people enslaved people just trying to make sure that their light within them is not extinguished under slavery other people say that it's this little light that helped them take take slaves through the underground railroad up north I'm not really inclined to believe that one just because um, I've heard about the stories about how dark it was at night 
and how there were actively slave catchers like in forests looking for slaves to catch to bring back to their masters so i, I don't know but i'm gonna do some more research and i'll get back to you on that one but yeah <laughs> just some just some notes about what was just played but yeah so you know how i mentioned that like delaware was mostly a free state by like 1810 and when 18 when i say 1810 that's like the 19th century so i'll use that like interchangeably the 1800s 19th century uh but like let's pull back and look at a map here actually actually no let's back up two years to 1808 in the year 1808 the united states passed a law uh, prohibiting the importation of new slaves, uh, emphasis on importing them. This is really where, like, for me, chattel slavery starts to kick off because, like, they couldn't import slaves. And because of that, breeding became more prevalent. And honestly, like, I really hate using the word breeding, uh, but I'm really not sure what else to use in this context. The situation was already non-consensual, but you know, with the main line for more labor being cut off, not to mention slaves being expensive as hell to purchase, of course it's cheaper to breed people like their livestock to meet your labor demands. Slave owners, they were taking notes of attributes of their quote unquote property uh, to mate them, to produce stronger children. They ripped families apart, they assaulted them, they abused them, they starved these people. Um, but like on the flip side, as we know with like the banning of alcohol in the 1920s during the prohibition, motherfuckers are gonna just do it anyways. Like they're gonna do it anyways. If you tell me, like me personally, if you tell me that I'm not gonna do something, I'm gonna do it on principle. So I can only imagine like what these fools are doing. Um, while estimates vary though, Historians estimate that like 50,000 slaves were illegally imported into the U.S. after 1808, uh, mostly through Spanish Florida and through Texas, um, because those weren't states at this time. Uh, they weren't a part of the union, so they didn't have union rules. Um, so it's very easy for you to say, oh, um, I've already had these uh, slaves in my plantation in Spanish Florida. I'm just going to be selling them to a slaver in South Carolina. Oh, I don't really have papers for them. These are all the papers. So like there really is no, there really wasn't any way to sit there and like enforce uh, this rule. And also too, like if there's one thing I know about American history, if the check is fat enough, someone's going to turn the other way and act like they never saw you doing it. So also keep that in mind, right? Like grease palms equal closed mouths. So um, even like a like a governor in South Carolina in 1819, excuse me, he estimated that like there were at least 13,000 smuggled African slaves arriving in that state alone every year. And I feel like that's more accurate because... In my heart of hearts, I know that that fool was getting a cut of whoever was smuggling the slaves into his state. Okay? How do you just know that? I'm going to estimate. I think 13,000 slaves are getting smuggled into my into my state. And I don't know what we're going to do to combat that. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Like, fuck that fool. Sorry. Slavery gets me really pissed off. <laughs> 
as it should if you're not pissed off like uh we gotta check up on you but anyways uh by the <laughs> by the 19th century christianity particularly uh protestants uh protestantism that became prevalent in uh religious influence among like african-americans also methodists like i this is and if my grandmother ever reads this or ever listens to this she probably won't because i curse a lot but i didn't know what ame meant until like two weeks ago i just knew that that was what the churches put on the end of their name to make it official so like i wasn't gonna ask any questions because i already knew what it was you know what i mean but ame is african methodist uh something church so that's crazy so uh the protestants and the methodists like they were heavy recruiting the african-american enslaved people the people who weren't enslaved um remember how i said earlier like these people uh a part of the great awakening one thing that made the great awakening so popular was the fact that you were able to have these big gatherings where you were able to like worship um worship with like song you know it wasn't just six hours of you sitting in a pew reading scripture and hearing this preacher talk about what a shithead you are and how you need to be repented and how you like you're born evil and you need to work your way back up to zero before you can even get to a hundred like those crazy things right so when the 19th century comes around you have protestantism methodism method methodology who knows whatever um the people that were enslaved, like they were able to have a reprieve from working in the fields. They were able to have a reprieve from um, cooking dinner, from being someone's slave, right? Because uh, there is no lack of a better word. That is the better word. Um, church was became a place of community for you to just be able to like spend time with the people that you're on this plantation with. If I'm not mistaken too, there were also churches that uh slaves from other plantations came together and like worship at like it was the central space for community it was the central space for people to talk about resistance in whatever cheeky ways that they could right because i feel like it must have been a really like it must have been a mixed bag to be enslaved again after fighting in the revolutionary war for white men's freedom <laughs> like coming back into slavery like although like there were people that were already like in the christian faith and like they kind of understand the concept of like good and bad right like it would just be very uh bittersweet and disheartening to have to come back to all of this right um and though on a technicality protest songs came before the gospel i feel like it was fitting to kind of circle back to protest songs here because the bondage of africans only got worse from here right like, i mean if i were enslaved I would definitely like have more fire in my heart after fighting a war that wasn't for my own freedom or like even being told that I was going to be free and then wasn't because like, yeah, we could say that the North abolished slavery after the American Revolution all we want. But did the attitudes change or was there still um, sneaky legislation that upheld the idea that blacks were less than were there not still people in the northern states who were freed black people 
getting carted off down to the south because a white person decided that their free papers weren't valid so just come and like just think about these things right like it wasn't just like clean and cut in north america and the northern states <laughs> again like i'm very surprised that massachusetts was one of the first states to technically abolish slavery when like to this day basketball players can't even be at the celtics home court without being called the n-word <laughs> like, so i don't know i don't know i don't know it's just it's not making sense to me so <laughs> i still have to say i know that my ancestors were pissed about it and they were gonna try and find some solace and get their lick back in any way that they could right i mean like I said, I would have the fire in my heart after fighting this war that was not for me. So we're gonna get into like the satirical uh, protest songs and how they also intertwine like with the folk spirituals. Um, these songs, they drew from biblical themes, relationships, folk tales, including like African folk tales, like, uh, you know, Anansi the Spider, like stuff like that, right? Um, they also like to like create little songs about how slaves outwitted their masters by running away and how freedmen defied authority. Like, I think I might even do like a little section next week about like a Nat Turner, just because like that man became a legend. Like he started a massive slave revolt. Like we still talk about it to this day. They tried to bury it, but like that's not getting buried. Um, <laughs> like they literally ate that man. White people ate that man because they thought that he had superpowers because there was no way that a black man could stage this revolt but anyways <laughs> some of the songs also criticize white people they uh also criticize uh imposing the oppressive lives on the enslaved people and like i've been saying like singing past the time and coordinate the movements of the workers um and offered encouragement they also com communicated like human emotions and provided a forum for criticizing like white people um yeah you know i think this is a great place to stop i'm going to play some more songs and then in about 10 to 12 minutes time our homie eddie is gonna come on dj space abuela um yeah so this is like the tip of the iceberg i think that this is like a really good this is good this is good i was able to kind of tell y'all about like the context of slavery and like kind of how christianity is like working its way into this and how we end up getting the gospel the next week i'll have more information for you i won't do a little 30 minute impromptu dj set even though i know you loved it uh <laughs> yeah so uh i'm gonna just play a couple of songs from more recent artists and I'll explain a little bit of that more maybe next week too, just because I will say with the gospel unit, we're probably going to be hearing the same exact songs, but just made by different people as gospel becomes more contemporary and starts meshing more so in with the blues and the jazz. Like we kind of touched on that with Mary Lou Williams bringing Catholicism in with free jazz. Um, we talked, or not free jazz, but just jazz. We talked about how Alice Coltrane also was infusing uh, principles of Hinduism into her jazz and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, we're really going to get into that next week, but I'm going to play steal away to Jesus 
I'm going to talk about, I'm going to play The Mass Meeting in Prayer by Hollis Watkins, which is a more contemporary uh, gospel guy. We got Early in the Morning by the Mississippi and Louisiana State Penitentiary Prisoners, which is something that I want to talk about too with the chain gangs. I know I mentioned that. So yeah, we're going to get into that. Before I let us all go and I play these songs, um, what's happening? If you want to see me in person, I'm selling clothing under my clothing brand. Oh, that sounds really gross to say. I'm selling clothes <laughs> under my clothing brand. I guess that's what it is at two pictures slash lovelies in Oakland. I think that market, it's called mom's market. And I think that it starts at noon and it ends at five. I have some really good 90s stuff, like some Ralph Lauren with the tag still on it. Um, I have some stuff that I made by hand. I've been sewing since I was 13 years old and I'm finally starting to like sell some of that stuff. Um, and then I will, oh, it's happening on Tuesday. We got one more show at the Ruby Room. It's the queen of the damned, the queen of darkness herself. She's coming out of hiding. It's Jasmine Infinity. She's doing one last set for the Ruby girlies. That's on Tuesday. I'm assuming it starts at nine because nothing good happens before 11. Um, so yeah, there's that. Maybe I'll see you out and about. Um, definitely enjoy the holidays, whether you celebrate or not. Eat a good meal. Um, if you don't want to talk to your family, you don't have to. If you want to talk to your family, you do. I mean, you can. Um, take it slow. I know that the year is over in like damn near a week, but don't act don't feel like you didn't accomplish anything. You accomplished waking up this morning after almost 365 days of some bullshit. So if that's not, you know, um, an accomplishment, then I don't know what is. And like straight up, if you don't take anything away from this lesson, just know that the slaves had to wake up every morning and do way more than what we ever could have imagined. So yeah, your 2023 wasn't that bad. All right. Thanks for listening. I'm Helena Handbasket. This is What's the Move on BFFF, BFF.FM. And also one last thing, we're almost done with raising our funds for the for the radio show, radio station. We're 75% of the way there. If you like me talking shit, if you like anybody talking shit, if you love Asri's DJ sets, if you love Alicia's DJ sets, if you love Donald J. Bands, if you love teddy okay if you love space abuela you'll drop five on it you'll hit the link in the bio you'll hop on the website you'll donate a little bit because we're like 25 percent done with our goal okay help us save the community radio okay help keep it alive all right i'm done with my tangent thanks so much for listening to me i hope you have a great weekend uh and if you got that racist uh grandma send her a Scientology mail after you don't have to cuss her out just send her annoying little things okay like sign her up for Scientology she's gonna be on their shit for life okay another tangent I love you I'll see you next week bye we want more faith that we may be able to ask you for what we need here in this Torn world. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Don't leave us here in this distress which we're now going through. 
because we know you have all power yeah. in heaven and in earth. Yeah. Oh, the lily of the valley, yeah. the bright and morning star, well, well. fairest of 10,000 to my soul. For heaven's sake, I caress, and for Zion's sake, I can't hold my peace. Oh, my father, you said you would come to our rescue if we would only call in faith. We want more faith, my God. We want so close to walk with you. A calm and heavenly friend, a light to shine on our road to lead us on to thee. First, I'd just like to ask everybody in the audience that have been down and attempted to register to raise your hand. <laughs> See? There's a number of hands. Now, how do you feel, those that have gone down to register to vote? Do you feel that you are doing something that you should and feel that you are part of this fight? Yeah. All right. I see there are more of us sitting out in the audience that didn't raise their hand. So you see, we still have a lot of work to do. We should try to do something about this. We're all in this struggle. We're fighting for you too regards to whether you're interested in yourself or not, you should take a part in this. Join hand with us. Walk down to the courthouse and let the people know that you want to become first-class citizens and you're tired of being second-class citizens. But my friends, I want to tell you tonight, as long as you stay second-class citizens, you will never get the things that you should have you will never get the things that is due to you. We're interested in you. Please don't let us down. There are men in Greenwood's jail fighting for you and me in Mississippi. You see, I'm from Mississippi too. That's why I'm here fighting. People have tried to get me to go up north, but I plan to stay here and make Mississippi a better place to live. And as
somebody's calling my name Hush, hush Somebody's calling my name Oh my Lord, oh my Lord What shall I do? He says, oh, I'm so glad That I got Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. 